0: All right, welcome back to the Wages of Cinema, everyone. Uh, On uh, this week, uh, The List, uh, as usual, Andrew talks about a movie that I've given him to watch that he hasn't seen. And Andrew uh, gives me a movie to watch that I have not seen that he has seen. And um, this week, uh, we continue uh, onward uh, into uh, more into a little bit of modern films. I guess we could talk about films in the past 30 years as... Being modern, which and we I take we an can.
1: excursion into auteurism. Auteurs, of course, are filmmakers with a very distinct vision. They, they usually they direct, they write, they often Ad, star. Yeah. in their own films. Yeah, not
0: that not that we are not that these are the first auteurs we've talked about. No. If anything, I think this year has been kind of an experiment in me giving you auteurs.
1: Yeah, basically. Yeah,
0: because I, I, I'm basically a little deficient. to you, a film illiterate. <laughs> no, well, you there are a few that you could watch and that we can get you going. But All right, sweet. uh so the point is though we're going to talk about a movie which does kind of fall into this auteur category and interestingly I'm going to I'm going to maybe try to find some correlation between our two movies because I feel like there are a few even if they aren't seen easily on the surface. So, let's get started. Uh Andrew, you watched
1: Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. Yes. And this has a ton of stars. Spike Lee stars in it. Yes. Uh, but it's also got John Turturro. Yeah. Yeah, you know, which makes up for anything he did in the Transformers films. He's uh, done
0: a lot of other movies that
1: I think makes up for the Transformers He was in films. Fearless.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Another, okay, I, I'd forgotten about that.
1: Yeah. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson as the DJ. Oh, yeah. Uh, Martin Lawrence. Yeah, it's funny. when His I, first film appearance, Martin Lawrence. When
0: I show this movie to my students, the two people who get like a, oh, are Martin Lawrence and Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. And also, in the beginning
1: credits, introducing Rosie Perez. Oh, yeah. Her first movie. Yeah.
0: Yeah, she, mm-hmm. she somehow came in and surprised these folks. Um, and silence your phone. Um, so, uh, yeah, and there are a lot of other people who you may or may not recognize. There's this actor Giancarlo Esposito. Oh, let's
1: not forget, um, what's his name? Ozzy Davis, Ruby D. Ozzy Davis from Ruby D. Um,
0: and, uh. Danny Aiello. Yeah, we met, yeah, don't, you can't leave him out. Um, I'm sure there are probably a few others, um, that we might be forgetting. Um, there's actually this comedian named Robin Harris, who's one of the guys on the, uh, uh, on the, you know, sitting around on the corner.
1: Yeah. I rec, he's the guy in the middle, isn't he? Yeah. Well,
0: do you remember the movie babies kids? I remember it in principle. (laughs) Well, it was an animated movie where, like actually, he died uh, like, very not too soon after making do the right thing, but he did this stand-up bit about babies, kids, and yeah. for some reason that got translated into the movie. All right, well, we're <laughs> wasting time though. Let's talk about the movie because I th- this is a movie that I think is so important.
1: Yeah, do the right thing takes place in the uh, the, the Bedford Stuyvesant. Section, uh, of, section Brooklyn. of Brooklyn. Section of Brooklyn. Yes. Know. Uh, you know, in the late 80s, this film was made in 1989.
0: Yes. And as as they, it, literally the first words you hear in the movie are
1: public enemy singing, 1989! Yeah. And it's just a a hot day, and it's a day in the life of this neighborhood where things start tense, and they go horribly wrong. Well, not just hot. It's the hottest
0: you know, yeah. there's a shot that pans across all these newspapers just so you get the point that we're in that you're in a heat wave. Uh, temperatures have been in the 90s for God knows how long. Um, at best, you know, this is also at a time when uh, context counts, so not everyone had an air conditioner. No, uh, it seems like nobody did.
1: Yeah, and this was in the time before New York City really bounced back. Yes, from.
0: Now, to Whatever be fair, what Bed- happened to it in the seventies? Yeah. Well, Bedford Stuyvesant has always been a neighborhood that's been not the greatest. Like, even uh, it actually pops up in a Billy Joel song. Yeah, I walked through Bedford, Bedford Stuy alone. alone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, you may be right. Yeah, it, you know, it It's it's the ghetto. <clears throat> yeah, so it it takes place in large part. Uh, there are a lot of stories in this movie because you're following the lives of these people on this, but basically on this block or a couple yeah. of blocks.
1: And as we said, n- numerous stars, a ton of characters. Yeah. And, and yet it's never hard to follow at all. No, I was actually wondering if this had any sort of roots in the theater. What, what do you mean? Like it was a like, play? if it was, a, if it was adapted from a play and I don't think, how it was. would you
0: make, I don't see how this could be
1: performed on a stage. It Cause feels, there's, it, it, it feels, feels too cinematic for that. But, well, it doesn't feel stagey like a play does like a play would be like in some adaptations like some some plays are at, adapted into film and part of the process of adaptation is taking something that's meant for stage and putting in cinema. And if you do that really well, then you wonder how it ever could have been a play at all. But then sometimes you don't do it so well and it feels pretty stagey, like Dial M for Murder, that movie. Yeah. It, it I and I but I felt like the way it was written, the way like so many different characters like talk to each other one on one, like there could have been like three people on the stage. Well, well you're,
0: but like, it's but it's definitely a movie. You're now. it's n- it's Theatrical in its presentation. Yes, down to how the camera moves, the music. Yeah, um, yeah, how characters talk. It's heightened. You know, it's like even though these, it's taking place in what you imagine is real places, you know, like a, a pizza place yeah. and a corner store and, and, and like a convenience store and apartments. There's, you, you could there's probably, an
1: energy to it. Yeah. And you could probably easily adapt this. Well, maybe not easily. No, you could, nah. I, I feel like you could.
0: There, there are some moments though that make it, I mean, well, I don't know. We can get to We might have, we can talk about the ending. That might be a little difficult to do on stage. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's all right. Well, let's, let's get, we're getting ahead but of It's ourselves. all about, it's it, all about it's, it's all about race. Well, Spike Lee again. He plays this young pizza delivery guy for Sal Mookie. Mookie, good old Mookie. Um, and uh, he works for Sal at Sal's pizzeria. Sal's been in this neighborhood basically for a very long His time. His sons, Pino and Pino and Vito.
1: Vito, they work for him. Pino hates <coughs> working at the pizzeria. No, like, no, no.
0: Vito, I think is the no. Oldest. Vito
1: is the younger one. Oh, John okay. Turturro is Pino. Okay. Uh, wow, and I just watched. This I don't movie. think we could go through all these characters. We can we
0: can go through them quickly. <laughs> I mean, Ozzie Davis is Demare, yeah. who's basically the the village drunk. Yeah. Uh, Ruby D is mother's sister. She's she's like she
1: owns an apartment building. And she, she, she's she's she, kind she, she, of like the sage. She's the landlady.
0: Yeah, yeah, she's the landlady. Uh, Mookie also has a sister um rosie perez is Mookie's his, his. baby day which i w- one of the things i love about it is that they don't reveal that right away yeah when they first introduce her she's just you know a loud hispanic woman who has this kid she's arguing with her mother about yeah and it's only eventually that you realize oh wait mookie that's oh that's his son yeah and he's not around much no, well, he works. He earns two fifty
1: a week at a pizza something place, something like that. Delivering
0: now. Now let's talk about what sets off the main conflict here. Because again, you talked about it's all about race.
1: So why are there no brothers on the wall? Yeah, man, why are there no brothers on the wall, Sal? Why no brothers, man? Yeah. You know,
0: I see all these Italians,
1: you know, with black people. And when you, when you have your own pizza place, you can put your brothers, your sister, your mother, <laughs> your fathers, whatever you want. You, it seems like
0: the dialogue here definitely stuck to you.
1: Yeah. Um, There's so many quotable lines in here. Oh, yeah. Like Ozzy Davis, he, he 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 says, hey, doctor, remember to always do the right thing. That's it? That's it. Yeah. <laughs> um and oh smiley. and of course oh and uh, Radio Rahim Radio Rahim who doesn't say much
0: No he he's... does not like he I kept every time I watch the movie I wonder so what does he do with his day does he just walk I around in his too,
1: <laughs> <laughs> He doesn't work I mean you get why he's called Radio Rahim yeah, because and he, has, he has money to buy batteries for his for his ghetto blaster. <coughs> but <laughs> it, it, is that what you call it? I thought it was just a boombox. It's both. I don't know. I thought
0: ghetto blaster's <laughs> a gun. Really? Yeah. Maybe. Well, all right. But the point is, <laughs>
1: you heard heard it from Whitey. Folks. Well,
0: yeah. <laughs> now it, it's in mentioning um, one of Roger Ebert's great reviews is I'm for uh, "Do the Right Thing." Yeah, and he talks about how you know you look at you know, the whole conflict around the wall. And that perfectly encapsulates a problem with the discussion with race in this country. It's like, okay, well, why don't you putting brothers on the wall? Well, it's my place. Well, you know, this is a neighborhood with black people. Why do you have Italians? It's my place. You know, if you want your own place, get your own wall. It feels like a lot of the racial discussion goes back to that place. Yeah. And you're but, showing me a picture of a ghetto blaster and it, okay. It's a
1: radio. Enough. Um, all right, but, but here's the thing, <coughs> ostensibly the wall of fame in Sal's restaurant is yes. the focal point of all this conflict or, or the, the it's, it sets it's, it off because right. I mean, basically this guy, his name's
0: bugging out, bugging out. He's the and one realized, who, re- who, who he's, it's funny cause he's the only one who really has a problem with Sal. Yeah, like everyone else, he actually likes you know likes his pizza. He they generally like Sal. Yeah, Vito. You know he pisses off Mookie, but that's pretty much and his brother.
1: Yeah, but I mean, <clears throat> it's such a small thing. But this, <laughs> I, all the racial issues that yeah. exist there—they've always been under the surface. Yes, even if they were never mentioned, they're part of what.
0: It's uh, like what, it's in the fabric. It's in the fabric this of the setting.
1: But but here's the thing, and it's important that this is the hottest day of the year. Yes, because the hot hot temperatures always bring tempers up, so that it takes a lot less to make people actually go off on each other. And it's... and Pino he he doesn't like working at the pizzeria. And Sal he's you know Mookie's always doing these hour and a half pizza deliveries. And Mookie he has to you know worry about. Uh, Tina and his son, and uh, there are all these people who just have their own issues. But everything is so much t- more tense. Yes. I mean, you have the racial issues, you have the personal issues, then you have the ha- fact that it's like the hottest day of the year and everybody's tempers are just just below the boiling
0: Well, it's point. also, well, when, you, when it's that hot, you're either one of two things. You're either trying to conserve energy... Not do much.
1: Like those guys by the wall underneath the umbrella.
0: Yeah, who are just, you know, those are the guys who, in a lot of neighborhoods, they're the guys who are just talking crap all day to each other. Right. But, the, or
1: otherwise you are, <clears throat> otherwise you're, you're just kind of pissed off. Yeah. Which is kind of what Buggin' Out's problem is. You know, if it wasn't the hottest day uh, in in Brooklyn, he might not even have brought it up. And then, like, he gets that slice of pizza and he says, hey, why, why isn't there more cheese on the pizza? <laughs> extra like, cheese is $2. Extra cheese is $2. <laughs> is Sal kind of cheap with the cheese? Because uh, Radio Raheem brings that up, too. <laughs> Put some more mozzarella on that mother effer. Yeah. Yeah. There's – and, um, yeah. I, so. But it's, but no one's ever – but rarely, rarely is anybody ever talking about, I have a problem with you because of your race. That exists, but see, it's not... I think I
0: feel like Pino
1: says that. He says that. Although it's great about him... But Pino I... doesn't get into an argument with Mookie about that.
0: No, no, no. What, what's great about them is they have the scene where Mookie asks him about all of his favorite people. Magic Johnson. Uh, Prince. Prince. No, Bruce. But yeah. it's see, all of his favorite people are black people, but he hates them. And he tries to justify it by saying, well, I mean, it's they're different. not really black. That's different. They're... And Spike Lee gives him a look like... Really? Yeah. Um, and of course, all this leads up to a huge confrontation, just as Sal's about to close up his shop.
1: Right. And now this is this is the real part where tragedy comes into it. Yeah. I, like, because a lot of
0: the movie's funny.
1: Yeah. I mean, and it's just everyday life, and then things turn tragic. And the and part of what makes tragedy tragic is that there's always a way out. Yes. Like if if. If Sal had just said, like, at the beginning, when Bugging Out was asking, why are there no brothers on the wall? If he if he had said, like, eh, maybe I'll think about it, then it would have been <laughs> a big thing. And if and if Bugging Out had just, like, if that guy hadn't stepped on his sneakers, or if he had just been like, all right, I'll stay away from the pizzeria, I'll let this blow over, nothing would have
0: happened. Or if... Or if... Or if uh, although with Radio Rahim, it's interesting, because, I mean, he comes into Sal's place, and to be fair... He is kind of a disturbance. He is
1: kind of obnoxious.
0: Yeah. He has his loud music playing, and it's like two slices.
1: Yeah. Um, and, and of course, then what happens? And, uh, it, and he, if Sal just, hadn't opened up the pizza restaurant to let four more people in at closing time. See what
0: what you're exactly saying. If he hadn't done this, if he hadn't done this, like Roger Ebert talks about this in a review... And around and around we go. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this circular thing. And no one
1: set out to have what happened happen. I mean, we can do spoilers right now, can't we? Please. Uh, I think, well, yeah, we have to. Uh, bugging Out comes back with Radio Rahim, things escalate, and... And Sal destroys Radio's radio. He destroys the radio. Radio Rahim tries to choke him to death. The, a fight breaks out outside. The police, the the police, police come, come and, and they accidentally kill Radio Rahim. Well, accidentally. Police, <laughs> they, I, no, no, but that's, again, <laughs> well, that's no, another matter. None of those police were looking to kill Radio Rahim. No, no, not exactly. Well, uh, it's just, he's a big guy.
0: <laughs> you could say that they could have let him go Probably, like, sooner. Yes. Again, the same situation that's happened in the past couple years with people getting, dying by police. Yeah. You could say it's an accident, but... And then it yeah. all leads up to, then they take Ray Rahim away. And then there's a riot, even... they destroy well, South, South Pizza. Oh, no, 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 you're leaving out the key part. Who throws the, the trash can through the window? Yeah, Mookie. Mookie. Why did Mookie throw that trash? Uh, See, this is it's funny that Spike Lee always brings this up in interviews. He always says, "Man, people always ask about why, why, why did Mookie throw it through the window." People don't ask why why the
1: cops kill Radio Raheem. (laughs) But that's easy. Like once, once, once. Yeah, let me hear what you have to say about that. Starts everything is out of control. Yeah. I, everybody's running on emotion. It's wrestling. It's a fight. Then the police come. They're just trying to save Sal, us, ostensibly. If we're if we're looking at this from like a distance, well, that, try- that's
0: kind of taking out certain racial elements. Yeah, in it. I mean, white cops do kill. A, black, a big black guy. Yeah. Who, in a similar manner, like Eric Garner in Staten Island.
1: Yeah. But I, but, but once you but get you think into that, that moment, I mean, it's hard to control anything. Because so everybody is this big pile. There's a group crowd watching.
0: So, so let me ask you this question. Do you think that Mookie is not part of that? Like, things have calmed down and he just re-escalates it? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, because everything... Yeah. Every, yeah. That, that is the, like, the mystery was, of the movie. was in
1: this lull. Yeah, that where like Radio Rahim was dead and they took him away and everyone's just kind of nothing's happening. Yeah, people are yelling at each other a little bit, but nobody's doing anything. And then Moogie just comes up and throws this trash can through the window and then the riot starts.
0: Yeah, like maybe I, I, I guess the only thing I could think of is that maybe he thought, okay, something is about to happen here. The people in town, you know, in on the block, they're yelling at Sal. There's still a lot of tension What's going to break this up? Uh, yeah. I know we're going over a time limit, but... All right, so
1: final thoughts on Do the Right Thing. Oh, man. Like, I... if you
0: can bottle it up in 30 seconds.
1: It just feels like the most real movie I've seen in a long time.
0: Real movie. So, like, addressing a lot of issues and stuff. But in
1: an honest, authentic <clears throat> way. A lot of where it's so beautiful, Nobody's too. preaching to you it's not like crash. Yes. Yes. And it's not some, and it's not just some TV horse hockey. <laughs> horse hockey.
0: Yes, you heard it here first uh time um It's not TV horse hockey. Yes, it's not TV horse hockey. It's Andrew like of Cinema says do the right thing not I'm uh, glad you liked it. I was I was curious what your reaction was going to be. Um this movie's terrible. Because like, I, I, it's a movie that I show whenever I can to my students. And it's, yeah. it's funny because this time when, the, when it ended, one of my students came up to me and said, I don't get it. <laughs> and they left. And I kind of hey. wondered, and I kind of thought to myself, what? What is there not to get? No, but that's it. But maybe that's what, maybe you're pointing to that. There is a lot of stuff you have to process. Mm. You need to have a discussion about it. All right. All right, so let's get on to our next movie, which I watched. Uh, that Andrew gave me. Um, this movie is called Last Night. Right, it came out in 1998. Yeah. Now this, unlike Do the Right Thing, I mean Do the Right Thing kind of was huge when it came out. That was mm-hmm. one of the big movies of the summer, not just the year. Like it, even though it was up against movies like Batman and Indiana Jones, you know, Do the Right Thing got a lot of press. Mm-hmm. Whereas Last Night, it came, it went. I'm not even sure if it got a U.S. release. Um, It is a Canadian film. Oh, yeah, very Canadian. It comes from this director who also, I think, is an actor. His name is Don McKellar.
1: Yeah, he played the lead in this.
0: Yeah, he's the lead. Um, There there are some people here, too. I mean, it's interesting watching this alongside Do the Right Thing because they're both ensemble pieces for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. they address they they're set in a very compressed time frame yeah the characters you could say are under duress yeah in, in the circumstances of the story on, on one hand you have a very hot day on the other hand you have the end of the world
1: the literal end of the world now I, I have so, a, the, so let's just recap this is a, the film's premise is that the world is ending on this well, on this very day, it will end at midnight. Yeah, we're looking at the last
0: six hours of the world. Yes. In, like, this little... I guess it was Toronto or
1: something. It was Toronto, yes. I, I, I thought so. Yeah. And the main character is Patrick Wheeler. Yes. He's trying to live out his last last hours the way he wants
0: to. Yeah, he doesn't want to hang out with his family because his family makes things very awkward. Oh yeah. Uh, like A lot he... of
1: awkward conversations in this movie.
0: Oh god, it, <laughs> it you know what it reminded me of. I know you haven't watched the show, but it reminded me of the show Louie and it's the kind of thing I've seen where the
1: episode you've shown me
0: one. Okay, good. Well, on Louie, the thing with that is you watch that show and you laugh Like, it's the kind of show where you laugh even though a character is crying. Yeah. It's that type of thing. Like, there's a scene where they're at, he's at the dinner table with his family, and his mother is, like, openly weeping. Yeah. And yet, it's kind of funny. (laughs) Just because of how no one's reacting to it, everyone's just trying to eat their dinner. Yeah. And it it comes after, like, a lot of awkward words have been said. Right. Um, there are a lot of other characters, so there's also, um,. Oh, I didn't get right those name. Oh. Well, Sandra O oh is actually just named Sandra. Yeah, the story. That's pretty convenient. She's trying to get back to her husband because they have kind of a suicide pact. And her husband is? Oh, David Cronenberg. Yes. Okay, <laughs> I I thought so. Yeah, I I was wondering if they were the husband and wife. I at first I didn't see that connection. Oh, and the other thing too, connecting to do the right thing, you have a character, uh, an auteur director. Not Outrage. You have a very famous person as the omniscient voice yeah. over things. You have Samuel Jackson the DJ here. David Cronenberg is the guy who works in this office and he calls up people. He works for the gas company. Yeah, he works for the gas company to tell people we are going to keep the gas going
1: until uh, the end. And David Cronenberg, you know, he's known for body horror, known for, you know, Eastern Promises, but very soothing voice. Very nice-seeming oh, man. I
0: think he's an underrated actor. Yeah. He's really good in this. I, I've i seen him in a couple other things, too. He just has a natural presence. It's like, yeah, you listen to him talk in interviews, and it's like, wow, this guy made Videodrome. And the way he's got that white hair, he looks kind of like a like a frost
1: elf or something.
0: In this movie, <laughs> I think he had brown... Well, Pretty he was weird. a little
1: younger, but nowadays he's a little whiter.
0: Yeah. Also, Sarah Polly plays uh, Dom Keller's sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, she pops up here and there, and then there's also another actor. I didn't get his name. Maybe you did. Um, you mean the characters actor? Well, I mean, the, the guy, the guy who's having sex with Craig. Everybody. Craig. So you also have a, a Patrick's friend, Craig, who has this whole plan to have sex.
1: Fulfill, with, all of his fulfill all fantasies. of his sexual fantasies um and it, he's going through a checklist the first scene you see him like a, a woman comes to his door and and he's talking like i you're beautiful i'm not just having sex with you because you're black and she says don't lie <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then he has sex with his with his like yeah middle he, school french teacher was that who
0: that was? Yes. Okay. Yeah. She's an older woman, and then he's his plan is that when midnight comes, he's going to have a mutual orgasm yeah. with the woman he's having sex with, who also ends up who, who was working in the office that Cronenberg
1: was in. Yeah. They wrap up all these all these stories pretty nicely.
0: Yeah. So what's interesting to me about this movie, uh, I know how. Like, I feel like sometimes a movie doesn't necessarily have to tell you everything. What it's about you're right simply just how it can go about the details and characters so in the case of last night i i don't know maybe i missed it but i felt like they didn't really come out and tell you exactly why the world is ending no they don't. but they but you can infer certain things like for example and it it, it plays it, it plays kind of a mind game on you cuz when the movie starts at 6 p.m. and it's 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 bright out it's it's, day. su- it's daytime but as the movie goes on, it's six, seven p.m., eight p.m., nine p.m., and the sun doesn't go down. No, it's the sun is just out nine. there. So that's something you wonder. Wait, what's going on here? The sun's not setting. It's also pretty convenient that the world is going to end at midnight. <laughs> I mean, again, you, I have to wonder if you know part of the sun not setting is you know a clever screenwriter trick, but part of it's also budgetary. So well, they didn't have to shoot at night. It's a pretty
1: effective thing. I oh mean, no, no,
0: it is because you don't have because you can read into that and you can suddenly fill in the blanks for yourself. You could think, well, maybe the sun is coming towards the earth or something, which which wouldn't make quite a lot. No, of sense. It wouldn't make any sense. Maybe the moon is gone. I don't know because but you, you also know the
1: moon doesn't control the night, right?
0: <sighs> <laughs>
1: yes. No. It, All right. But, but the point
0: is the sun doesn't set, so that is really eerie. Yeah. Also, um. I think, and the movie does a pretty good job of, um, uh, you know, showing this like landscape that's kind of become, you know, becoming desolate. And you know, I, the movie starts off. what I love is that Sandra O oh is in this store, and these
1: guys just turn over her car for no reason. Yeah, she's just in there getting groceries. Yeah, the they don't have to thing. turn over her car. Yeah, but the thing, the thing I noticed with that scene <laughs> was she's in like this mostly empty convenience store just. Getting what she can, and she, there's a box of bugles on the uh, on the shelf, oh, I and know she doesn't one. pick up the bugles. <laughs> Who would not get the last box of bugles on the last day of Earth? I guess you would. No, I, I would. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I meant to say. You would get that box. Bugles, uh, they're awesome. All right, really. But so
0: this movie, it's this is this is like yeah, it's a very awkward comedy, and yet
1: it's it, it, yet it's serious and too. It's also very stoic. Yeah, the, the attitude of most of the people who are he, who are in this film as as characters is the world is going to end. Now, some people have taken to uh just vandalism, some to downright yeah. murder. Uh but you don't see a ton of that. No, it, it you, you know what, what I found
0: interesting, it felt like a very uh Canadian apocalypse movie, <laughs> which, you know, usually the the sort of joke with Canadians that they're very polite yeah, there's a scene where um a character has a gun pulled on them, and the person isn't killing them right away. They just have the gun on them, and they're not quite sure what to do. Yeah, and the other character is like, "I'm I'm not afraid to die. I'm, I'm not, not afraid, afraid of you. Yeah, I'm not afraid of you." And the other guy's like, I I, "I I might kill you, but but he's not mean about it. It's just like he's in this twisted headspace of." the The world is coming to an this end. This is
1: it. There are no consequences. Yeah, it's like You're these are die the most anyway. Yeah,
0: they're they're the. It's like yeah, the most polite apocalypse yeah. that ever happened.
1: Excuse me, but I'm going to have to kill you. Now. Well, but everybody else is pretty resigned to their fate. They know there's nothing there can do. There's no there's no guy in a spaceship shooting a missile at the sun to save the earth.
0: It's a very it's a it's an eccentric little movie. Like I um. You know, we have uh we have kind of a mutual friend this guy uh Fred Henry. Yeah. I feel like this might have been a movie that Fred might have made.
1: Yeah, or at least one that he he he'd like.
0: Yes. Uh you know, it's yeah, Fred, again, if you're listening to the podcast, please tell us if you like this film. Thank you. Um yeah, so a lot of serious stuff in this movie. I mean, Sandra, oh, you know, she plays a pretty desperate character.
1: It, well, she becomes much more desperate as the film goes on. I mean, they overturn her car. She has she to go can't all get the back way to back husband. across town. She has to, and, you know, she, she she, like Patrick, wants to spend her last hours in the way that she wants to spend them. Yes. And, you know, it's just circumstance has come between her and her husband a lot like how people keep coming between Patrick and just him wanting to be alone.
0: Yeah, I feel like she she carries a lot of dramatic weight in this film.
1: Yeah. Like I feel I'm like... just seeing her walk down those deserted streets like oh, just yeah. with those groceries in her arms I and mean, that's that's uh that's that's got a huge impact. Oh yeah, for sure. There were a few times though
0: the small small criticism that I wasn't sure if McKellar was great in the part they wrote for himself. Like, maybe that was by design. There are times where he just seems so awkward. I don't know. Maybe that's the wrong word to use.
1: I, I would only say he seems awkward because the situations he he's in are awkward. Yeah, I, I guess he I, plays in fun. There are parts where, I mean, the big one is where Craig, his best friend, talks to him. And he says, you know, I was, I was trying to give you a hint up there. I... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you where... want to have sex with me? He's like, Well, I love you, but now it's not a great time. And I love the ending of that scene because. Where they. Do, don't they kiss? They kiss, and then they walk, like, Craig. just, like, no, what? Uh, Craig Pat... basically gives him the finger. Yeah, well, Patrick walks away, and he's like, Fag. <laughs> and they're like. And he's like, Yeah, me give you pity sex? I, what, what was I thinking? Yeah. I mean, but it's such a like it's such a man thing to do. Yeah. They laugh it off and sure. just and just insult each other. Yeah, I mean, for me, like not every moment
0: in the movie fully works. I mean, there might be an attempt here and there to be funny, and it can be effective. And then maybe there might be one moment where it's like, uh, I don't know if that quite worked. But for the most part, I this was a oddly affecting, you know, end of the world movie in yeah. part because it's it's slightly stripped down. Um, you know, there's one segment where the, uh, the, the French teacher, uh, goes to just listen to this piano performance yeah, and it's this really kind of sad, soft piano thing. Like it,
1: well, the whole, the situation is sad too. This guy gets his recital. He's this guy who, who oh, back yeah, his, uh, yeah. and he's, and he's like, thanks for coming to my recital. And there are about five people in that entire auditorium. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, um, how, uh. Patrick and Sandra end up together is quite dramatic. And Although I love ends... that
1: image at the end, yeah. I wrote it down. It was so crazy and so so was such a great moment in the film. It's two people falling in love with each other while they have guns to their heads, listening to Pete Seeger's "Guantanamera." Yeah. Oh, was that Pete Seeger? Yes. Okay, I knew
0: "Guantanamera."
1: <laughs> and that it's like every film has a shot that you'll never see anywhere. Yeah. That is the that is the shot that, that this film has. Well,
0: just that whole montage, too, leading up to that, where Guantanamo plays over all the char- characters leading up to their final moment. Yeah. Um, now, I almost wish that there had been something else than just, like, the bright white light that seemed a little
1: bit, like, okay. Well, we, we don't know, that... know what's causing the apocalypse. I mean, why make it certain? Yeah, I guess. No, let I... me ask you something. It's the last day on Earth. Okay. What are you going to do to spend your last hours? Um. hmm. Good
0: question. I would probably probably do a couple of things. I'd probably have a lot of sex. Um, (laughs) All right. I just got to be honest. I'd probably also want to smoke a lot of weed. And uh, I probably would want to watch a movie that I had never watched before.
1: All right. I think I'd probably... Or a movie I loved. Yeah. I was thinking about this too. I'd probably, it would probably have to be something with movies. I'd either watch Casablanca or it's a wonderful life.
0: Well, I would almost, I would actually watch good, the bad and the ugly and try try to time it so that, you know, I get to the end and, uh, you know, Tuco goes, you know what you are? Just a dirty son of a, (laughs) (laughs) the end of the world happens just as he reaches his plateau. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, yeah, there are a lot of things to think about, you know, what you would do with your time. What I will also say about this movie, too, is that it reminded me of a movie that I'd actually seen a few years ago, but this was better. It was called Seeking a Friend at the End of the World. With Steve Carell. Yeah, with Steve Carell and Kieran Knightley. And that tried something a little similar to this, where it's less about, you know, things with the apocalypse than just about what kind of human connectivity occurs and in that movie, it's something about it just didn't quite work overall. But there were a few funny moments. Uh, Patton Oswalt has an awesome scene in that movie. But so if you, but I feel like with this movie, it's it has a unique take on it. It's yeah. like I haven't seen a movie like that. There's a rhythm to it. There's I almost I know it, it sucks to say the word quirky, but I feel like if Wes Anderson maybe made an apocalypse movie, it might have some scenes like this. Yeah. Um. so yeah well, and like I said this some of it comes down to being so darn Canadian yeah alright we have a few seconds what did you learn from this film I learned uh, that you can have lots of sex and it's no problem
1: alright
0: <laughs> you know if only Charlie Sheen had seen this movie maybe he would have waited to have all his sex uh, at the end of the world <laughs> Charlie I feel machine. I feel bad for him. Yeah, you know all that tiger's blood, and still get HIV.
1: Um, and on that note, on that, that note ends
0: the list. Yes, well, thank you for listening to us on the list. Uh, if you want to check out more of the list podcasts, uh, you can visit uh, our playlist on SoundCloud, which actually has all of our list episodes compiled for 2015. Uh, so, if you want to skip around, you can see you know other time periods that Andrew and I have talked about. And, uh, you know, you can uh, like us on there or you can check us out on iTunes on either way. Hopefully you're listening to us and uh, we hope you continue listening to us.
1: All right. When we come back, we're going to talk about a certain movie mocking show which may be making its comeback soon.